Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello, welcome to Sibylline Podcast series. I'm Goyu, Lead Analyst for Asia Pacific. I'm joined by fellow APAR analyst Supriya Ravishankar and Aidan Mordechai. Together, we'll discuss Pakistan's politics. So after a long drawout fight, Prime Minister Imran Khan and his government were finally thrown out in a no-confidence motion last Sunday. And the ex-opposition leader, Shehbaz Sarif, has been appointed as Pakistan's new prime minister. However, Khan and his supporters do not appear to have conceded to the defeat, with the XPN urging supporters to continue protesting what he claims as foreign influence and conspired uh, regime change, despite not offering any concrete evidence to back it up. Meanwhile, the new coalition government is also facing a series of pressing challenges, not least the need to consolidate in the power quickly. So I think it's fair to say the political situation in Pakistan still remains quite volatile and is attached with a great deal of uncertainty at the moment. So Supriya, if I may go to you first, what's the future of Iran Khan? Clearly, he's been voted out by the parliament in the no-confidence motions, but some commentator has already said that he's plotting a comeback, perhaps a second innings for the former cricket staff. How do you see it? Thanks, Hugo. Yeah, so Imran Khan remains incredibly popular despite the recent events of Shabar Sharif becoming prime minister. And it's quite evident from the fact that a lot of his rallies that he's held and he continues to hold are very popular and tens of thousands of people tend to show up. And the PTI account on Twitter has been launching social media campaigns that has received a very good response with millions of retweets. And it's quite evident that his rhetoric and his idea of like an anti-American conspiracy and his anti-America propaganda, so to speak, is really striking a chord. And there's no doubt that he's going to contest the next general elections whenever they are, whether it's going to be this year or stated for next October. He's definitely going to try and make a comeback. But whether he remains as popular next year would be the key to determine whether he'll win. But it's absolutely clear that he's going to try to regain his former post. Right. So it looks like he's going to be planning to basically contest you know, the next election. Uh, he still remains quite a strong base that is largely anchored by his anti-America platform. Aidan, would you, would you see the same way there? Yeah, I agree with that. The large rallies and, and the activity in social media, like Supriya mentioned, illustrates that he still possesses a strong, significant amount of support. And maybe as an outsider in government for the next year, he may have greater success, given that the issues that Pakistan face are not just due to Imran Khan, but they're more structural in nature, particularly the economic crisis. It's debatable whether the new government will have so much success in just a year. If the government does make any move to strengthen relationships with the US in, in the coming year, it would also probably strengthen Imran Khan's argument that there was uh, maybe a conspiracy 
from the US to dislodge them, even if there is no truth in it. Right, that's very interesting. So one of the things I found quite intriguing in watching Pakistan politics is that the military obviously playing an incredibly important role and yield a lot of influence in politics. So how would then the new government manage to reconcile or build a good relationship with the military? Saying that uh, one of the factors that Imran Khan's downfall was the reported deterioration of its relations with the army. Sukriya, how do you see the new government would try to basically repair this relationship and perhaps have a fresh start? In addition, what other main challenges Sharif government will be facing in the immediate future? Yeah, you're absolutely right about the military. Nothing can happen in Pakistan without their blessing, so to speak. And any time that a prime minister has tried to disobey any of their command, it's usually resulted in their ouster. So one of the key factors, one of the key priorities rather of Sharif is going to be to form an amiable relationship with the military. The good thing about that is that in the past has had already quite favorable relations with the military. He's not known as someone who's tend to meddle with their affairs. And he's obviously a better option than Imran Khan for the military right now. And he's not a political outsider, right? No, not at all. His older brother has been prime minister three times in Pakistan, and he's been chief minister of Punjab several times. So he's already has, I'm sure, relationships with personnel in the military, so to speak. So he does have incentive, obviously, and they also have incentive to form an amiable relationship going into the future because in the military, because of Imran Khan's inability to curb the economic crisis, a lot of hate, so to speak, and dissatisfaction like the general populace had towards Imran Khan ended up being reflected at the military because the military had a huge role in his election in 2018. So they are on damage control mode, so to speak. So they would ideally like to project a neutral stance, but it's very clear that they will form a relationship with Shabazz Sharif going forward. Regarding the second part of your question, I think that the most immediate issue is going to be the situation of domestic unrest, which with the PTI already announcing three protests for today, the 16th and the 24th in major cities, it's the situation needs to be handled because there is a heightened risk of clashes and obviously that the Shabashis will have to prove that he's an effective administrator going forward. And he will have to, in a way, win the support of even at least a section of PTI supporters if he wants to win the next general election, because it is a significant amount of the vote base. Just for the benefit of the listeners, the PDI was the party of Iran Khan that was being ousted. Yes, the Pakistan Tehrike and South Party. Of so Iran. now they are the opposition. Well, they've all resigned from the National Assembly, so they aren't officially the opposition. But yes, in a matter of saying yes, they will, they will continue to act like the opposition. And the economic crisis, obviously, you know, some of the issue uh, or criticism directed, you know, the government's handling or mishandling of the economic crisis, largely yes. induced by the tam- pandemic. But Sharif, our new prime minister, will be facing the same problem, I suppose. Absolutely. And one of the key things he has to do now is to get an IMF loan into Pakistan, which is some, it was something that was already in the talks. And then because of the situation, the political turmoil, they decided to not go ahead with the loan. 
And usually an IMF loan requires structural changes and that would require Sharif to make some unpopular decisions, which could include maybe increasing taxes, which is something that's obviously not favored by the domestic masses because it increases the burden on them. So Sharif definitely will have to strike a balance between maintaining his popularity and making sure that he isn't then hated for what Imran Khan was hated for, which was not being able to curb the economic crisis. So still fascinating time ahead. And obviously, addressing all this pressing issue will be crucial to determine you know, how long or whether you can consolidate power and how long this new government potentially last. Aidan, anything you want to add on that? Just that I agree with the prayer. The economic challenge will be particularly difficult given the global economies and particularly inflation, which has been a real burden for the general population, even before the increase in global inflation. And so it will be particularly pronounced now, particularly when you consider the price of essential foods, which will always be a driver for domestic unrest and public discontent. Let's shift away from domestic issues and look at uh, foreign policy for the new government. As we already mentioned, really propagated the anti-US platform. Obviously, a lot of this uh, such sentiment remained pronounced and genuine among the electorate. So how would the Sharif government handle Pakistan and US relations? And how would this kind of shape its key foreign policy stand? Yeah, so I think that there was a clear tilt away from America under the Imran Khan government. And there was a clear shift more towards China, more so Russia. And that definitely means that Sharif is inheriting a foreign policy, a position when Pakistan and US ties are probably the lowest that they've ever been. And there is definitely incentive for Sharif to turn that and make Pakistan's policy more neutral towards the United States, particularly because even the army seems to think that's a good idea, which is very important. And they're very involved in Pakistan's foreign policy. So General Bajwa, on the, I think it was the 4th of April, made a statement saying that Pakistan and US are key allies. There are important uh, trade partners. And he hopes that these relations only better going into the future. And even in his maiden speech, Sharif basically echoed the same sentiment. And one of the reasons why it's important for the U.S. and Pakistan to become closer allies is there's also been rumors in the grapevine that Pakistan needs to regain access to Western military resources. This is not just the U.S., this is also France and Germany. And one of the ways that they can do that is to be removed from the Grey List. There's a Grey List for international terrorism funding. There is definitely a push to rectify relations with the U.S. And I think that Sharif is going to try his best to do that. But it's also important to remember that he may not be in the government for very long. It's officially probably just a year and a half, so to speak. So he's not going to have a lot of time to make a substantial change to foreign policy. But at the same time, I do think he'll definitely endeavor to do the same. Now, you mentioned a very good point about striking a better balance in foreign policy, the new government, and seeking perhaps be less negative, but slightly more neutral, and seeking a cooperation in some areas with Washington. How would this be impacting, um, obviously, this long-standing friendship, if not brotherhood, between Islamabad and Beijing? From reading Chinese commentary in recent days about the new government, 
Uh, China seems to think there aren't going to be major changes in Sino-Pakistani relations or friendships, and because the cooperation has stretched much further beyond the previous Han government, and let's not forget, it was actually the now the biggest party in the new government signed the China-Pakistan economic corridor. So how would you see it playing out if, say, Sharif tried to rebalance Pakistan's relations with the Americans? That's a very good question. And incidentally, Sharif actually has a very good personal relationship with several Chinese businessmen because Punjab, when he was the chief minister for Punjab province, he really welcomed Chinese investment and he and he's kind of known to be very business friendly and he helped like start a lot of projects while he was chief minister. So I actually think that him being prime minister may just be more beneficial for Beijing. But at the same time, absolutely, the China-Pakistan economic order really ties the two countries together. And that's why it doesn't really matter who's in power, that relationship, because of the economic element of it, will always remain. Indeed, Pakistan does decide to undertake a more balanced approach. It's going to have to figure out how to not antagonize its friends in China, while also maintaining a strong relationship with the US, which is something that countries tend to do by maintaining a strong economic relationship with China, but a more security and like military relationship with the US. That's a common approach. And I think that's something that Pakistan will also consider going forward. And the United States this morning, a spokesperson from the Pentagon already said that the United States and Pakistan have healthy military to military relations. So I think that's something that I think the US would also be interested in. So that's how I see that balance playing out. Is that mainly aimed at counterterrorism? Counterterrorism and also, I assume, weapons and the purchase of military hardware. If I may go to you, Aidan, looking at elsewhere in Asia, particularly in Southeast Asia, how is the new government being reported or perceived? Any official commentary there? Hasn't been a lot of interest, particularly in Southeast Asia, but uh, interestingly, from Pakistan diaspora abroad in the West, For example, there's been protests in support of Imran Khan, showing the the reach of narrative and the position he's been taking, particularly on this accusations of the US allegedly conspiring to oust him. We might see more protests of this nature, but in the rest of the Asia-Pacific region, outside of South Asia, the news hasn't been hugely significant. Okay, that's good to know. It looks like Pakistan will be a hotspot to watch in the coming weeks as the new government go about their jobs of uh, consolidate power and also try to reshape its foreign policy priorities. So now let's move on to the forecast. And Aidan, what are the upcoming events or dates or important developments that our regional teams will be watching very closely in the coming week? For the next seven days, we are looking at the swearing-in or the Somalian parliament, which is happening on the 14th of April. This is happening despite the fact that not all seats have yet been filled. And as a result, it may be followed by a pressure to carry out an election for the president, particularly given the IMF's warning that they need to have some insurance that policy agreements are being pursued by mid-May. This rush process is likely to, to cause some instability within Somalia. While on the 15th of April, we have North Korean 
former leader Kim Il-sung's 110th birthday. Major dates in North Korean calendar have often been marked by uh, military parades or missile tests. This is particularly pertinent given the recent testing of ICBM, the first since 2017. So there are worries that North Korea may test further ICBMs or even possibly resume nuclear testing. On the 17th of April, Mexico's Congress will start voting on a controversial electricity reform proposed by the government. The plenary of the lower house of Congress is scheduled to hold the vote on that day. From 18th to 24th April, the Tunisian delegation is set to travel to Washington for IMF talks. The event could represent a trigger for the politically powerful Tunisian General Labour Union to go through with threats to lead a nationwide strike amid opposition to reforms, which economic minister Samid Saeed claims are ready to be presented to the IMF. Such strike action will generate considerable operational cross-sectoral disruptions. And finally, on the 19th of April, Timor-Leste will hold its presidential election runoff. Former President Jose Ramos-Horta is expected to beat incumbent Francisco Guterres. His victory may herald a resumption of the controversial Tasiman onshore gas and oil development project. So obviously, uh, we'll be watching that very closely. If you have any further queries, please contact us via info at cplan.co.uk. Until next week, have a good weekend and Easter break. <laughs>